ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. David Ham, welcome back to ATV Talk, sir. How are you? Oh, it's great to be back. I love to sit down and chat with you about motorsports and three-wheelers and racing and whatever we decide to talk about over the next hour or so. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we had a good pre-show, so uh, it, now maybe we can get down to the really good stuff. Um, I'm looking back here at 2022, and I'm probably guessing this is a career high for you. You know, it was it was up there. I mean, way up there. The whole year was pretty uh, pretty impressive and pretty just uh, amazing, really. I've truly been blessed the whole time I've been racing three wheelers, but this was definitely a blessed year. Um, uh, there's a saying, I guess, that when you work real hard, you get lucky, and uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of luck involved. But there, there's a lot of work that went behind it. But at the end of the year, we sat down and talked about uh, what this year would be like in a perfect world and in a perfect world we would go out and win works and we would go out and win best in the desert and in order to do that you got to compete in every single race uh, uh, in both series which was a lot on the plate that plate was overflowing at the beginning of the year and uh, we just kept pushing it back onto the center of the plate and kept eating all uh, all the way through and uh, we made it happen got got both titles and uh, it was it was really really special there's one other title that you got in there as well. Yeah, that World Heron Hounding popped in there as well at the end, and that was pretty cool. Um, that was just kind of a side note on the Best in the Desert. They had a World Heron Hound thing, and it was part of the Best in the Desert series, the last race of the season up in Tonopah. And uh, we entered that and got the win there, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty record year. I mean most racers live their entire life for one. Yeah. And well, like you I got say, three in a year. Three in one year was pretty awesome. Like I say, I got lucky and got, when I first got into this, won the Yamaha quad cross series and won the Calvium X series a couple of times and ACP motocross a few times and Azop twice. And this was definitely climbing the food chain and, um, was, was a lot. I mean, uh, we were racing twice a month and most months and to go after works and best in the desert and as much travel as in and prep that goes into keeping that bike happy. And like I say, we didn't win every single war. We didn't win every single battle, but we won the wars and that was pretty cool. So did you ride a, a different machine at each, each race or did you run the same machine? 
No, we had a we had a TPC for Best in the Desert, and we had another one for Works. Um, we kind of tried to keep it that way the whole way through. There was a couple times where just things weren't going as well as we would have liked on the preparation machine wasn't ready. So we had to take the, the works bike and run it in best in the desert. Um, but it, that, that wasn't the master plan. The master plan was to have two separate bikes for each series and build them a little bit differently. And, uh, had some great people involved with the builds to, to get them dialed in for the different uh, skill set that was needed and the machines. Um, and we came up with a really nice package. It's always evolving. We're always working on it. We're looking forward to 2023 because we're making some adjustments and, and things that we think will be better, but, um, it, it worked out real well in the, for 2022. That's outstanding. Um, what motor did you run in those platforms? Um, we were CT. Alan built our motors for us. Um, we we went with him early on, and uh, we're real happy with the motors. You know, we knew with Best in the Desert that we, as you well know, you don't need a fire-breathing dragon in those races. You need reliability, and and works, too. The number one thing was reliable. So he sat down with us and was able to ask what we were looking for in it, and he, He's a three-wheeler guy. I mean, he raced three-wheelers back in the day. He gets it. Um, and that's what's so neat about getting some of these people involved with our builds. Um, I mean, the fact that Doug uh, is get, helping us out with our suspension. Um, you know, he raced three-wheelers and built custom three-wheelers back in the 80s. So he gets it that, that you know, what a three-wheeler needs different than a quad or a dirt bike for that matter. There's some very unique things in the suspension and in the motors and every, everything, every aspect of it is unique to itself to get some of the guys that were around in the eighties that were uh, professionals back then that is still have a little spot in their heart to, to make a three wheeler the best it can with using modernization of stuff. And uh, to get them in our corner has been just a godsend. We can't have to thank them enough. That, that is incredible. What I was asking about the motor, which, which platform did you pick? Uh, 450 Honda, or did you go to a different version? No, we were running uh, modern TRX 450 Honda stuff, all stuff out of the quad. All right, so you put a quad motor in there? Yeah, the, the actual builds themselves start off with a quad. So where a lot of companies are, are building modern trikes using dirt bike frames, um, we're using quad frames to do it. Um, so everything is is... Everything on our machine you can buy, um, other than the frame itself, um, you can go into a Honda shop and, and get any part you want. It's either a dirt bike part or, or a quad part. There's no prefab stuff other than the frame. That's a, that's awesome. That's great for the industry also and the and the consumer base, so that they can uh, always get parts. You know, you know the the builders closed or if they're breaking something on a sand dune weekend. They can pop in and get a new part and and go back riding um you ran inverted forks too didn't you yeah um, all all of the tpcs have inverted forks on them um my particular one had uh 450 06 450 dirt bike forks on, on it um so we were able to massage those and get them real happy with the, the rear shock that doug built for us um, the Elka shock on the back was just amazing. It, it, we spent quite a bit of time tweaking it and changing spring rates and valving to get it happy for the three wheeler. And to, to mate it up with the fork forks was the key. They have to work in sync together, as you well know. Did you run a long travel link on there as well, or did you run the standard linkage? Long travel, Lone Star long travel on the rear. 
I'll use the Lone Star link. Yeah, Lone Star, Elka Linkage, Lone Star Swing Arm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. That's not a bad combination. Um, did you go to the 0405 version or did you run the 06 version? And if well, I'm trying, if I'm getting too into the secrets of it, just just you know, braze on to a new station and we'll, no we'll secrets whatsoever. Uh, 06 and up, we we went with um, just as you know, those 0405 parts are getting harder and harder to come by. Um, so we just chose to go with 06, other than just for the fact that it's more readily available. Right, right. That's that's so cool. When you converted, and and if I'm getting in off on a direction that you don't want to go, you know, just reel me back in because I'm I'm so into the the build aspect. Um, when you put the inverted forks on there, uh, how difficult was it to build a hub system and brake system to work in the three wheeler? Higher fashion or uh, the, the the same concept that the 250Rs or 350Xs were, I'm assuming. Yeah, so you have two different variations. You have leading axle and trailing axle. Um, the, the, the 250Rs all have leading axle, and we, we went with trailing on this. Um, we like the characteristics of it better. Um, Bill at TPC has is, is done a lot of R&D in that department on messing around and experimenting with different versions of leading and trailing axle. So he he built his own triple clamps, his own hub um, for the build. And, um, it, you know, he's been doing this for over 10 years now, building his TPCs. So he's got them pretty much figured out. So were you involved in the testing to get the... Um, angle of the front forks um, or did he, is that something where he calculated and built it and then you, you, you ride what's there? Exactly. He, he did the R and D 10 years ago and tried different things with that when he was building frames and stuff. Um, there's no, a lot of the guys have to diff, different angles out of the triple clamps because the dirt bike has such a chopper style rake. So they're trying to correct that in the triple clamps. And we don't go that direction. Um, again, we build the frame custom so we can control the rake in the frame itself. And then you know, the triple clamps are, are just straight down. There's no invert triple clamps involved with that. So like I'm thinking in my head that if I have a fixed frame, then I have to build triple clamps to adjust my forks to, to work with that angle and set them at the angle that I want. And what you're telling me is that he built the frame with the angle already in it. Correct. Yep. The, the actual neck tube on, on the three-wheeler is the exact angle and rate that he wants. Perfect. That's, that's, that's the better way to do it, you know, but you know, you're dealing with some of these guys that don't have, um, they're not, they're not making the frames. They're starting with a dirt bike chassis. So they're, they're stuck with what it is unless they modify the triple clamp. Correct. And, and again, they, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, the, the motorcycle frames are real light. They're a real light frame. And uh, that's a, that's a plus in lots of, lots of ways. So um, they, they have to deal with the rake that's on that dirt bike and the dirt bike rake is usually a lot more aggressive a chopper style than uh, what the three wheelers were um, in the eighties. And so 
You know, there was a reason back in the 80s they didn't use motorcycle frames. Right. They made their own and and uh, came up with their own design, w- whether you like that angle or not. Uh, I've listened to now I haven't done this myself, so I'm I'm going to throw it out there and you can correct me uh, where I'm where I'm off. I've listened to a couple different um, builders and they don't like the 250R rake. They like a different version of it. Some like the 350X, but others uh, won't tell me their degree. So, <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, I get it. You know, if you want it, if you want it, you got to buy it. Yeah. You know, there, there's pros and cons. All I've raised more 250Rs over the years than anything else. And, um, you know, from 85 to 86, there's a slight variation in the rake there. Uh, Honda, you know, changed their rake a little bit in 86 versus 85. It was it was small. Like, I believe it was like a half a degree or so. But it was a difference. And they were evolving back then. And what they were choosing to do with those three-wheelers all depend on the rake. I mean, if you're running flat track TT style racing where you've got to turn left, turn right as sharp as you possibly can, then there's a certain rake that's going to do that really well. Um, if you're running high speeds out in the desert where there's probably not a very many sharp turns out there, then there's a different rake for that that probably works better. So what Honda was trying to do is develop, you know, the all around best thing that would work for everything pretty darn good. And they went with a certain rake that with that. Um, when TPC builds their trikes for mass population, they're looking to do the same thing. They want the best performing all around in every category three wheeler that he could produce. Now we've changed things to it for our application, and that's the R and D that we've constantly been doing. But when you get that package, he's he's trying to do what Honda tried to do was just create the machine that would do it all pretty darn good. That's that's kind of what you're you're doing unless you're building a specific use machine and and i understand that that's that's pretty cool um your motor package with the did you go carburation or fuel injection carburation like i say we said with oh yeah trx 450 stuff so unfortunately it has hasn't gotten a fuel injection um you know all the modern dirt bikes and even the yamaha squad is fuel injected so do I think that there's a lot of uh, good things with that? Absolutely, I do. I mean, some of these longer races, Vegas, Torino, as you well know, you're sometimes at 1,000 feet elevation, and there's other times where you're close to 7,000 feet elevation going that 500-mile distance. And to have a machine that's going to perform great at all those different elevations, uh, I think there's a huge advantage to fuel injection. I, I do too, uh, but it also comes with a whole gamut of uh, negatives to, to boot. Um, you can take your machine and do a conversion to a fuel injected deal. You'd have to probably modify your air intake system and run a different style gas tank where you'd have to have a custom aluminum tank built. Um, but yeah, it's totally doable. They're, they're, they're taking 86 or 06 and up, uh, 450Rs and dropping, CRF motors in them. So um, it can be done, I guess, relatively easy. Yeah. Uh, again, fuel injection is uh, definitely a way of the future. I don't think you'll see carbureted machines being produced, mass produced by the manufacturers in another five years. Um, 
who makes a carbureted well they make some carbureted two-stroke stuff but for the most part isn't it all fuel injected i, I believe so yeah y- all those brand new 250 that they're still making is still keeping it simple with the carburetor um keep the price point down a little bit i think that's kind of where they're going but as far as yes. i know all the, the their motocross like, 250 yes the four stroke no 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 two stroke yeah that that's uh you know ktm came out with the the fuel injected two strokes. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't got to ride them. A friend of mine has the fuel injected and the carbureted 300. And I want to go ride them both just because I've heard that bike. is just so awesome. Um, I can tell you this, that, uh, we actually on our trailer at Tonopah, it was 20 degrees to 20 degrees that morning. Um, when we got up and on the trailer, we had for different reasons a uh, KTM dirt bike two stroke. And we pushed the button and it fired up within two seconds. <laughs> and it was 20 degrees outside. Um, I, I wish that the, uh, <laughs> the 450 bike that I raced in that race would have started up in two seconds, but it took a little bit more work than that. I'm sure. Did you go with the electric start or did you keep it a kickstart? Um, on the desert, by, well, on the one we chose to run and best in the desert, it was an electric start. And the one that I rode in works was a kickstart. What was the reason for going to the electric start? Um, you know, we there's times up there maybe when you put on a couple hundred miles and you're tired as a driver. And for some crazy reason, the bike stalls on you um, and you're just whooped and kicking a machine when you're whooped. If it doesn't start on the very first kick, sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it takes a little bit more energy. So having that happy button there, you just push that button and it fires right back up. Just made sense to us. Yeah, but sometimes that happy button doesn't work. Well, luckily for us all year, it worked when we wanted it to. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I make most of mine kickstart just because, you know, I, I just am still more comfortable with that than the, than the push button. We were, we were going to have both on the, on the trike. We were going to have a kickstart and electric start both on mm-hmm. it. Um, it just hadn't evolved to that yet, but it will. Right. Right. There are pluses and minuses to it, but if you have both, you're, you're good to go. Right. Uh, Did you spend much time riding at night? No, we uh, didn't do anything at night uh, this year, everything we were prepared to, um, but just things went went well and there was no night involved. That's awesome. Hold on one second for me. Thanks for that. Sorry about that. So we didn't get to ride much at night. Most everything was done during the day. Um, How did the, I know it took a, probably an army to make all this happen, but when did you start coming up with the fact that you were going to run both series and, um, I mean, that, that, that's a huge undertaking. It was huge. We talked about doing it preseason and said, you know, how cool would it be to do it? It was kind of almost more of a, a in a perfect world. Wouldn't that be great? Like a dream. 
um, we decided to obviously start off in Parker and um, we ran the Parker 250 and best in the desert. And um, Prim came up. That was, I think, round one was Prim for uh, works. And it just, it just evolved. We just kept chipping away at both. We kind of didn't think it would be able to be possible to do them both and especially to win them both. That was, that was not even really a, uh, a pipe dream. It was just a matter of going out there and competing in them both and, and you know, seeing how things did good. Ultimately, I think we thought to ourselves, whatever one would be going better mid season, we would just stick with that one and drop the other one. And just middle of the year, they were both going really well. We had, we were leaving the points in both and we just said, let's, let's battle down, man. And so uh, we did, we took a lot out of our whole team and couldn't have done it by myself. We had an amazing team of writers and pit crews. Um, it just kept growing and evolving throughout the whole year. And uh, I'm just blessed. I can't say anything other than that. Just blessed. We were able to make it happen. Did you have the same riders with you the whole year on in the, in the best in the desert or did you it, have different guys? It changed. I mean, there was a total, we had five guys and we rotated those five guys out um, for different reasons. I was a rider on record. So I, I was there at every race. Um, but there was a few other guys that, that joined in for a race or two here. Life had them going in different directions. Um, Jeremy Nisley was one of them. David Wiley was another. Sammy Ehrenberg, Tristan Jones, Tommy Harris. Those were those were the guys. And um, they all pitched in and did amazing and always got that machine to the next person in, in, in as good a condition as they got on it. That's that's pretty awesome that, that you had such a great, diverse group. And and they all worked well together. That, that's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, which series is your preference? You know, they're so different. Um, Best in the De Desert is still kind of new to me um, in the sense that this was the first year I've done the complete gauntlet and ran the whole series. So every race was was literally new terrain and, and, and a new experience altogether. Um, I, they're both special in their own ways, but if you're forcing me to pick one best in the desert. Really? I yeah, didn't just, expect that. Just to run. I mean, uh, those 300 mile races, those 500 mile races, just covering that much terrain over one day or a few hours in some cases is just, uh, it's, it's, it's a spiritual experience. I mean, you're driving across the middle of the desert and if you're lucky enough, there's no dust in your eyes and you're just you're looking at this Canyon walls and, and you're just going, wow, this is just some really cool stuff I'm going through right here. And you, 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 I caught myself not, man, I'm racing here. Focus, go fast. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, there was so many things I wanted to sightsee. And I, I kept telling myself, man, one of these days I'm going to come back here and just, go through this Canyon at, at a slow pace and check it all out a little bit better. But uh, at that moment, on that time, you're, you're forcing yourself to go as fast as you can, um, at, you know, keep, keep focus on, on the task at hand and just race. But uh, amazing experience. Like I say, so many of those races were just covering so much of a distance. And I mean, this last race, this, this world here in house ground up in Tonopah, um, it was a 150 mile race, man, we, we went through sand dunes. We went through dry lake beds, through canyons, through rock gardens, um, giant fields of cactus. 
uh, went down this canyon that just kept getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And eventually it was a cliff. It was a waterfall that we had to drive down. And I mean, it just, every kind of terrain that the desert could provide, you cover it if you go the whole season through best in the desert. You see it all. there. I can't think of any part of desert terrain that's out there that we didn't ride through in the season. I always enjoyed racing best in the desert. Um, I did it on a motorcycle and a, and a four wheeler. So, um, two different perspectives of, of how it is and, and what it's like. Um, but the scenery, yes, you better be paying attention. Yeah. And the same thing that that beauty of those really cool things that you're seeing that you're just taken back by how amazing it is. They can all bite you in the butt real quick. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're not paying attention, which, you know, there's a couple valleys that you go through. I totally get it. You're dude. You're like this mesmerized almost by it. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm in fifth gear, you know, three quarter throttle. I better pay attention. Yeah. Uh, turns come up on you because you're not paying attention or, or if you get in the dust, it gets it even worse. You know, um, I can't like I, I was just talking to um, Wrangle, which you heard some of the the live that we did, yeah, and the surreal and the serenity. Uh, maybe those are the wrong words, but you're just at peace when you're going across some of them sections, and the only thing that you see is the trail in front of you, the wind whistling in your ear, and the sound of your engine. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a thing that's real hard to put into words and to explain to somebody. That's why I'm, I'm constantly trying to get other three-wheeler riders and racers to come out and experience these kind of things for themselves. I mean, that uh, if you can ride a three-wheeler, you need to enter one of these races just to, to see what it's all about. It's really cool. I agree with that because you're not going to find, I would say, a better group of people to go race with because they all truly care. You know, if something happens to you or if you need something, there's always going to be somebody there to help you. Um, and if you're riding a three-wheeler, they're still going to be there, whether it's a motorcycle guy, a truck guy, or or anybody else. The the, the series themselves, it, it, I think it goes back to Casey Folks, you know, and if anybody knows Casey, I don't know if you got to race with Casey or, or meet Casey. He was a, a huge personality. And he was there and always talked about safety. He wanted to make sure that everybody enjoyed the race and everybody was safe. And he capped on the people that, you know, didn't take care of the other riders and the, and the other competitors. And he praised the ones that did. And um, I think that sets the tone for the series that you're getting to race today and the people that are involved with it. Oh, 100%. I mean, he set the tone. Um, his sons are running it now, and um, they're, they're picking up right where he left off. They're, they're keeping keeping safety their number one priority, and uh, it's, it shows in everything they do. Um, even the participants, the riders, the racers out there, I can't tell you how many times throughout the season I came across another machine. Um, and in some cases, it was our machine that it was out there broken down and we had everybody stopping to help everybody's stopping to just make sure you're okay if there's anything they can do for you they will um it's just a class act all the way through 
we were at the Caliente race a few years back. And uh, you know where Caliente is, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is amazing country. Yeah. If really you've never stuff. got to, anybody listening to this, if you've never got to go to Caliente, schedule a weekend or a, or a couple three days. Don't do it in the heat of summer, but 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 go check it out. It's it's amazing. Um, it's an old train area. They they had like a train stop there. Um, I don't even know all the history. Um, but you got to go check it out. Uh, we were, we were driving the, the pits just so that we knew where they were, you know, the day before the race. And we go to one of the pits off the, off the path there. And, and it's like, uh, I was with Craig Simmons and he's like, Hey, I thought you told me nobody was allowed to ride the track the day before. And I go, they're not. And he goes, well, what's that? And we see this dust trail and this solo motorcycle coming down the road, you know, down the trail. So we waited until until they got close because we wanted to see who it was. Well, it was one of Casey's boys. I don't I apologize. I don't remember which one. And he was out there checking markers and everything. And a best in the desert truck pulled up at the same time he was finishing. And they asked us, hey, what are you guys doing out here? Oh, we want to know what you're doing out here. There's no riding the course before. And he goes, I'm so-and-so folks. I'm supposed to be out here. And we went, Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know? this, yeah. This last race that we did out in Tonopah, um, it was the very first race that Casey put on the very, very first race he ever put on in, in his whole life was oh, this wow. Tonopah race. And they hadn't used that particular route um i think it was over 20 years and so it was a lot of uh virgin terrain we were going across so to speak we were almost like cutting our own trail through the desert in lots of cases um it was just hadn't been had had been rode on and uh you know they set up this course and you're just following these these ribbons that they have set up out there every mile or so and uh you know, there's times when you're you're like, wow, I cannot believe that this is part of the course. I mean, there was like two miles of just rocks that it was crazy. We we're just going over rocks, and you you kept thinking that there's this isn't part of this course. This isn't part of this trail. But there's a ribbon right in front of you. Yes, <laughs> this is part of the course, part of the trail. So a lot of really really neat terrain. It, it wasn't your typical desert race that some of these trails are just so beaten in and so whooped out. This one was not like that at all. It was uh, uh, uncut trade. There was time where you're like, I don't know, I think I'm on a trail, but yet, yet there's a ribbon in front of you that you're supposed to be following these pink ribbons on the route. And uh, it was really neat, really neat. So when are you going to race the car? Yeah. Uh, so whenever you want to get a team together to go do that on three wheeler, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a team, dude. You're going to ride the whole thing by yourself. Oh man. I, I don't think I, I'm good enough. I, I, I've done 150. Um, I've never gone over 150 and uh, it, it would be a lot to ask for. That's for sure. You'd have to, I'd have to start training a lot differently if I'm going to go over 150. It's, 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 you know, I think the longest you'll go in a day on, on the race course is maybe 300, maybe, um, it's the liaison to and from, uh, that, that gets you. Cause there's one of the liaisons that we went on, uh, the first year that I was there, um, was like freaking eight hours. Wow. 
That's, I mean, you finished the race, you're still in the race vehicle and you got eight hours of asphalt to ride. Yeah, yeah. Just to get to the pit. <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait a minute, this what is this all about? Right. Um but that I don't know if it's like that uh anymore. That's when we were the first year we were down in South America. But that's something that you ought to look into. It's I know it's very expensive. Um, and you'd have to build some really custom parts to do it with the size of fuel tanks and things that you would need. Um, but that would be one hell of an accomplishment. Oh man, you ain't kidding. That's uh, that'd be amazing. I, I don't, I, I know that three wheelers I've seen pictures in old magazines that three wheelers did it back in the eighties. Um, but I, I don't believe any three wheelers ever attempted that, that voyage, uh, in the last 30 years. Yeah. I'd have to go back really deep into the archives to find a three wheeler that did Dakar, the old Dakar in Africa. Right. No, there's pictures of it. It happened. I mean, I don't know if they've ever finished, but they were at the starting line. I, I mean, they were packing three spare tires on the on the rear of their three wheeler. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, the whole thing. You'd almost need one of those. You'd almost need one of them big red deals. Yeah. They, the ones I saw were like 250Rs. They, they looked like they started their life as a Honda 250R, if I'm recalling with the I mean, it, the whole rear fenders were gas tanks. They were made out of fiberglass. And then the actual tank on itself looked like it was something off of a Goldwing or one of those big BMW bikes. It was like a five-gallon. <laughs> I mean, it, when I look at these pictures, I'm like, these guys are crazy. I mean, they're hauling 15 gallons of gas uh, between their fenders and their gas tank. And then another 100 pounds of parts and tires and wheels. And, and just like, wow. Talk about and- adventure. Well, the first Dakar bike that I ever saw was a Yamaha Blaster. Oh, my God. And I was thinking to myself, who in their right mind would ever do this on a Blaster? Right, right. I mean, there's so many better platforms. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny that someone would actually choose that platform to build off of. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if they finished. I I think they, I think it did. I think the, I think it finished. Um, but wow. wow, yeah. I mean, you have to be a serious, serious uh, masochist or sadist or both to do that. You know. You know, I've I've been blessed to talk to guys that raced all these races back in the eighties. Um, whether it's you know best in the desert score all these long desert races and uh to to hear their adventures and the things that they did and to see how the sports evolved and and what we're riding on today uh and you know the troubles that they had versus the troubles that we have and comparing the two uh it's night and day i mean uh they got 16 flat tires on a three-wheeler um in, in one race 16 flats I mean, they, there was no such thing as balls or blocks like we're running today. I mean, nope. flat, tire, flat tires today are, are very rare if you're set up correct. And I, I can't even imagine going into that race. And that wasn't even unusual, 16 flat tires back then. That was kind of like the, the standard, the norm. <laughs> I mean, they were like, you know, those tires would swell up and, and, and they would get 10 miles an hour faster just because the tires would grow four and a half inches because they were so it's just thin rubber, but that was part of 
part of their racing strategy to be able to have an overdrive when you got going across the dry lake bed and that tire would grow four inches. Uh, it was truly just a different world back then compared to what we're dealing with today. Oh, totally. Um, beans that you brought up the insert, um, do you run the same insert on all three or do you mix it up where you may use balls in, in your front and, and blocks in the rear or something to that effect? You know, we choose to go with blocks. Um, they just, they've worked for us. Like I say, it's one of those things we've tried. They work great. We have, we went through a whole season and never got a flat tire using blocks or never had any issues with our tires and stuff. So I, I can't even imagine why I would try anything else at this stage of the game. If, if we trying something with that success rate, why would you change it up? Right. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, we, we, We've done a lot of stuff with tire balls, but Kenny at tire blocks is what we used at uh, a lot of the desert races. Um, and you know, there again, Danny Prather with, with tire balls is, is taking good care of me. So I I'm a fan of both products. Um, because I've, I've had success with both, uh, you know, in different environments, I think they both can do different things i know the woods guys still use a lot of balls um i don't know because kenny's on the west coast right i don't know if the blocks have caught on back there for that or if maybe the different terrain yeah they react differently i'm i'm not sure yeah it seems like everybody back east uses balls and everybody out here uses blocks and i for the most part anyway and i, I think it's just they're both companies are based in certain areas and they're probably marketing to that market out there. I know at most of the works races, um, Kenny's there and he's, you know, providing his services with his blocks to whoever wants them. Most of the pro guys and works are all running blocks. Right. I think we were the only, uh, Mike Sloan and I were the only guys to win with balls in like 10 or 12 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you guys are running those balls, I've just heard stories I've never used them myself, but I've heard that um, that they, certain ones will pop in there and tires will change quite a bit. Um, and then sometimes maybe get a little bit out of balance and that kind of thing. Uh, again, I've never tried it myself, so I don't know, but I've just heard these stories. In works, never had a problem with that. Um, one of the things that I liked about them is the tire wear goes way down. Um, you have a form of that with a block. I mean, I don't want to get off topic here too much. Um, you, you have a form with, with Kenny's blocks of, of having the same thing. Uh, the, the block keeps the structure of the tire there. You're, it's allowed to have a little bit more squish to it, so it'll get better traction. Uh, the the ball, and because I'm not an engineer or a, or a guy that can use probably the proper terms, um, but when you put the balls in there, it allowed the tire to work in a flat fashion. So we're using the whole tire. And they just worked really well with the tire that we chose at the time, which was a, um, gosh, I don't even remember. It was an ITP tire, but I, I don't remember the name of it. And, and, uh, that was with Eichner. Um, with uh, Mike, we used uh, when when he won the title, he won, 
he, he used a Maxxis tire. Um, That's what we and, did this year. We ran a Maxxis. Yeah, I mean, um, GBC was coming up at the time, but I didn't have uh, the same relationship with Corey then that I do now. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've been testing the GBC brand, uh, with the things that I've been doing on the side and in desert and in, uh, works. And I really like the tires and when you look at the success that the XC guys back East have had with it. You know, I would have to say they're a, a formidable competitor, uh, to, CST or Maxis. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of companies right now that quality tires. I was talking to, to Jimmy White not long ago, and he's been in that tire industry most of his adult life. And just there's a lot, a lot of really good quality tires out there right now. Um, I think that off road racing 25 years ago, there was a lot of flat tires in off road racing, an awful lot. And today, not so much. And, and it, it, there's a lot of people running different brands and different makes and different styles of tires out there. And um, everyone's got their own personal preference and flat tires are, are definitely, they're not, not, not existent, but, but they're rare. Well, in 2003, we were sponsored. Eichner was sponsored by ITP and so was I. And in Vegas, Sereno, we had uh, one flat each and same with Stevenson who I don't know what brand of tire he was using. And we all dropped into this wash and it forced you into the bank and it was a shale bank. So it cut that, um, that sidewall on that left outside rear tire when you hit that bank and I was riding a 660 Raptor, which I love that machine, even though most people hate it. And going up that long, rocky, rutted out hill with a flat tire, I didn't even know I had a flat tire. Wow. It's impressive. And Stevenson was on the hill. And so was all three of us were on the same stretch of road at the same time. And, and that 660 was just reeling them in like they were tied to a fence post up that hill. Because Eichner was riding a 250R with a with a three uh, 305 PC of the power valve cylinders that my brother makes, and Stevenson was riding a Z400. All different machines and all different tires too. Oh yeah, I mean it, it was for quite a while there in the industry. It was pretty exciting. You you just had such a diverse. Um, amount of machines and from CC sizes to two stroke, four stroke. Um, and they were all competitive. I mean, Eichner was winning races on a two stroke when the four strokes were out there. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to race a lot of two strokes over the last 10 years. And now I'm racing predominantly four strokes and, uh, you know, they both got their place. I'm a two stroke guy. I got a soft spot for when a good running two stroke comes on the pipe. There's no feeling that I, found that a four stroke will give me like that. It's kind of that, uh, I don't know. It, it's just when a, when a two strokes running good and it comes onto its own and that pipe, you better, you better be holding on. And, uh, you know, the four stroke is more of a linear power pull. And that's why so many people are going to the four strokes today. Uh, I'm not saying one's better or the other. They're totally a different feel. Um, but, 
yeah, it's a matter of they just had the Nationals last weekend out in California, Glen Helen. And uh, I think the two strokes won almost every class. And there was some four strokes out there. Three-way international I'm talking about. Okay. At Glen Helen? Yep. I didn't even know what was going off. Yeah, it was last weekend. On, they, they ran that on the trophy truck track. Cal VMX put on it. Oh, wow. I wish I would have known. I, I don't know how I missed it. Keep you in the loop next year. This year, I missed oh. out on it. This is the first year I missed it. And uh, just overwhelmed just finishing up with the two series. Um, so just it was too tight for me to get there this year. But uh, it's the first year I missed it. But they had a great turnout of three-wheelers. And the, the two strokes won almost every class. Oh, man, I would have loved to have gone and seen that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I got to go to one of them at uh, Cahia um, a few years back. And oh, it was I was there. Cool. Yeah, I was yeah. there. Yeah, great, great turnout. That was a great track. Yeah. One of my favorite motocross tracks I ever raced a three-wheeler on was that Cahia Creek. It's beautiful up there. It was a lot of fun, you know, yeah. a lot of fun to, to ride and to spectate at. So I, I wish they would allow... I don't know why they stopped letting uh, the four-wheelers there. Yeah, I'm not sure. That was a great venue up there. Really, really great. Yeah, they can't even have a, a works race there anymore. Well, they can have the dirt bikes, but they can't have the, the quads. They won't even let quads practice on that at all. Yeah, I don't get it. Because I remember they had that smaller track, and it was three-wheelers and quads and minis and all kinds of stuff out there. Um, and the bikes were on the other track. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on. I think it's on Indian land. I'm not sure what their policies are out there, but uh, I, I think it's on, on the tribal land. I don't even think Barona lets ATVs on theirs. You know, it's, it's rare. I don't know if you heard that Canyon's closing out here in Arizona. Um, that, that property is no longer going to be used as a facility for, for racing. Um, I think that in two weeks, they're having the last race out there uh, that there probably will ever be. And that's been a historical track for us out here in, in Arizona. And that's going away. So it's just getting harder and harder. More tracks are closing, especially in California. Most of the tracks are closed down. And those that are open are very rare to let ATVs out there for practicing or racing. Because you can't get enough of them. You know, when it's when it's ATV practice, you know, nobody shows up. They also don't give us desired days either. You know, how many guys can get off work early on a Thursday to go to Glen Helen? Right. You know, and if you live in San Diego, driving to, to Glen Helen on Thursday, so you have to get off work at, at 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning to go and practice, you know, it's it's not always feasible. That's true. That's what another thing is so great about this desert racing that I'm choosing to do these days is, is where I live. I can take off from my front yard and going hundred miles in any direction I want and get some practice in and any day, anytime I, I desire to do so, I can take off and go. And so it, uh, it makes it a lot nicer and easier where I live to practice for the style of racing, uh, having it right in my front yard versus going and trying to find a motocross track or TT track that to go practice on. Yeah, that's pretty awesome stuff right there. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. We were talking two stroke, four stroke and, you're not the youngest guy on the planet anymore. And I'm not trying to say you're old. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but the acceleration from the two stroke to the four stroke 
um, lends itself to the older guy liking the four stroke better. I fall into that category. Is that one of the reasons why you built the four strokes versus the two stroke? Um, you know what? The, the TPC builds, they, they have a two stroke, um, but they, they predominantly build just four strokes. Um, I wanted to go with, I, I'm six foot two. When I sit on a 250R, a 350X, a Tri-Z, a Takati, any of those, they feel like they're made for somebody smaller than me. They've always felt like that. And when I sit on the modern bikes, they feel like they're made for somebody over six foot tall. It feels like it fits me. It's more comfortable to sit on. Just sitting on it in the driveway is more comfortable. Um, then when you start moving your body all over this machine, like you need to do uh, to make a three-wheeler perform right. And especially when you're doing it for, in some cases, hundreds of miles, um, it, it's it's more friendly on my body for sure. So the advantage to the four stroke extending your racing career and extending the miles that you can produce, that's where the four stroke comes in. hundred percent. No doubt about it. I, I still think I can, if a race is 20 minutes or less, which, which most motocross races are most TT races are flat track. Definitely. Um, I still think I can put down the same lap times. Um, and, and in some cases, probably even faster on, on some of my two strokes, but if it's going to be a race, it's going to go last more than 20 minutes. There is no doubt in my mind that at my place I am today, I can be faster and, and easier to drive far on a four stroke. So you were telling me about the national that they had at Glen Helen. Do you think that the two strokes won because the better riders were on the two strokes? Or do you think that the two stroke uh, works better in a three wheeler? Um, I think it's the, in this case, it was the riders. I, I, we didn't race there because of COVID, but the year prior to COVID I, I raced there and I, I won a couple of the classes on my two strokes. Um, again, it's a race that lasts, I think it's a, probably 15 minutes. If I'm guessing that's the average race length of time there. Um, super, super fast. So the 250 R's had six gears too. Um, when you're going down that trophy truck straight away. Uh, we were, we were all, there's this huge bank turn at the end. Um, we, we were, Ed Hicks and I were hitting probably close to 80 miles an hour going into that corner. Um, again, using the six speed transmission, which I wish all modern four strokes would have that six speed transmission, but they, unfortunately they don't. Um, so there's some advantages to those old bikes. Do you think? that the five-speed transmission in the four-stroke slowing you down? Um, it's just a different power delivery. I won't even necessarily say it's slower or faster. I think it's all depending on the gearing of the bike and the setup of it. Um, well, horsepower, torque, so many things that come into factor for that. I don't say one's faster or better than the other. Um, but for reasons I can't explain, some of the best riders on those style racing are choosing to still run two strokes. I think that it's um, they're trying to be more. Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they don't want to, they don't want to modernize. They want to stay with the tra traditional two stroke, uh, three wheeler. There's, uh, I probably think that's a lot, there's probably a lot to be said about that, but it also, if you just look at numbers, I mean, I don't know the exact number. I, I've seen it, the exact number of, of three wheelers that Honda made in 85 and 86, but it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the, the number of three wheelers they produced back then, there, there was more three wheelers made in 1986 than there were ever a year of Honda 450s made. And when you just look at, at how many of three wheelers, now we're not talking quads now, how many three wheelers were made in 85 and 86 alone versus how many modern four strokes have been made. The number it, It's probably 100 times more in 85 and 86 versus how many four strokes have been made modern. I wonder why that, well, uh, a portion of it is, is because they bastardized this on TV and, and said horrible things that weren't true, which we stay tuned, everybody. There'll be a, uh, uh, video, <laughs> a reaction video to, to that note, uh, soon on ATV talk. So, um, be prepared for a, a bombshell, um, information about that because those those people didn't exactly tell the truth which we all knew that but absolutely uh, we did absolutely we did i think that the industry got hurt and that's what caused the, the lack of sales i think that's what's honda's reluctancy is to build different machines i think yamaha is more uh courageous in that faction where they uh, they're still building the the 450 and the 700, and um, their 700 being built by the recreational division. Their 450 was built by the racing division. Um, I think you mentioned something in the beginning of our conversation about them not making changes to it. Um, cost efficiency wise or cost wise, why would you? Correct. Um, right now, it's at the top of its game um i believe that the 14 honda uh when it was last sold is is not uh, a machine that with the evolution of that yfc 450r i'm sorry in motocross and probably in woods it's it, it's not going to compete yeah you know? well again that Works. I don't know if you're aware of this. Works is changing their rules in the pro class next year to allow hybrids. Um, you know, if you want a modern fuel injected quad today, there's only one thing you can get. It's a Yamaha. Um, yeah, you you could make a Honda into fuel injection, but I'm trying to buy one off a showroom floor. There's only one modern quad race quad built today with fuel injected, and that's the Yamaha 450. Well, now you change the rules of, of your racing organization and you can now take a motor out of any dirt bike you want and put it in your quad. And it, I think it's going to change the game. It's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it survives. The it, reason it being survive. is because, because you think of the cost. You got to go out and buy a $10,000 dirt bike. Okay, and you have to pay for the conversion. If you have a Honda and you're going to put a CRF motor in it, which, trust me, I want to do this really bad. Um, 
it's going to be really cool. But your investment for the newbie or to go to a true hybrid, if you go to a true hybrid that's an aftermarket frame at, with a CRF motor in it, and and you do this real, really do it like they did with the old Lobo 250Rs or Lego 250Rs, you're 40 grand. Right. I, I think that on, on a economy type budget, if there is such a thing in racing, that you could buy a four or five year old dirt bike that's been, let's just say the guy totaled it. He accidentally went off a cliff and it bent the frame and everything, but the motor still got life left in it. You could probably get a hold of that and get that motor. And one thing that's really cool about all these new modern four-stroke, 450 fuel-injected dirt bike engines is they are small in actual physical size. So that motor, out of any brand that I just, you know, any brand that I, I've seen, you can take those motors and there's plenty of room to put that motor in a TRX 450 quad. Oh, I agree. I totally agree with that part. I mean, I've seen it done back east. So it's not as crazy as expensive as, as the product that you described. Now, is it as good and is it fresh? No. But again, I don't I I I I think that it's more expensive than you think. Yeah. You're, you're still right. gonna you're still gonna be into you're gonna buy a kit. Um because if you talk to JB, they have one. Walsh has one. Um, you have to buy a gas tank. Um, I don't think you're going to go to the carbureted version, uh, CRF. I think you're going to go to the fuel-injected version. Yep. Um, there's some costs there that I don't think people are aware of when you do this. I don't think you're going to have modified motors um, because of the amount of horsepower that the dirt bike puts out versus the ATV. Um, I think you'll see better longevity of life with some of the engines, um, like you do in the back East in the motocross and in some of the mods that they, they don't have to do the same mods to the motorcycle motors that they do the ATV motors right off um, right. as they get faster and more developed, then you'll start seeing those modifications. Um, but I, I, I don't, I just don't think it's as cheap. And I don't think it's a savings um, in the long run. In a, in a, in 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 no way, shape, and form am I saying anything negative about the series. But you have a series that's struggling with its ATV program as it is, and you're going to add costs to it. I think you're. I think it's going to struggle. Yeah, we're going to find out. I, I'm just excited to see different. People are going to make some pretty cool machines, but that rule change, I think they're going to come out. Now, are they going to be super pricey? You're probably right. Um, but if we didn't do something like that, you, you would just see within two or three years, you would see a starting line of all Yamahas. That's all it would be. It's the same with the motocross races. Um, well, GNCC, they're still running Hondas back there. Yeah. You know, I think I think one of the races I've seen is Suzuki. Uh, um, so the, the, they're trying, you know, they're trying to keep it going and, and the TRX 450R Honda pretty much has dominated since 04. Right. I mean, Can-Am's won two championships, if I'm not wrong, maybe three. 
Bo's been on Honda's for most of his in the work series and still is. And he's got but, he's got two championships to his name. And I and Eichner won in 04 when it came out. He won and then 05 he won. Uh and 06 he won. So you know, it, it it really comes down to most of the time and most of the series and most of the races that I've seen, it comes down to the rider. Um this last year going to I don't know if you follow Pro Motor. Do I believe Eli Tomac probably could have won on any machine you put him on if he got used to that machine? I, I believe he would have. I believe he's just the best rider for that year overall in conditioning and riding ability and all that. Um, do, um, I think, do I think Bo I, could win on a on a Yamaha? I, I believe Bo could win on a Yamaha. <laughs> I agree. and I'll agree and disagree. I'll okay. agree about Bo. Um, Eli Tomac's career was energized again by going to Yamaha. Most of us that watch were disgusted with his Kawasaki performance. And when you find out behind the scenes things about how Kawasaki ran that program and how they still run that program and, um, it's not, it's certain writers will excel and Riders like Eli declined because he couldn't do what he wanted to do uh, to make the machine better. And it wasn't like he wanted to reinvent the wheel. He wanted to just make a little modification here or there, and they wouldn't let him. And with the Yamaha, they're allowing him to test and allowing him to explore different pathways uh, to make the machine better. Um, But Back to your point about that day, that race, you're probably right. He was going to win that series no matter what. He was going to gut it out and make it happen. And you're a fan of just motorsports in general, as I. In most forms of racing, there's a saying I heard, it's the Indian, not the arrow. And uh, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, riders go in cycles, and, and most of the time when you find domination going on in any particular series in any particular year it's it's the best riders winning um now sometimes they're on the best machines too but mm-hmm. i think a lot of times you can take these great naturally gifted riders in the peak of their performance and put them on a different machine and they're still going to win my dad and and i believe this and i don't think he's the only person that said it if you're a professional racer you should be able to throw your leg over any machine and go out and perform if you're a true professional. Different shock brand, different tire brand, different motor brand or setup, you should be able to go ride it. Yeah. In, in today's market, in today's world, those riders are few and far between. Yeah. They, you know, I've been honored and blessed to meet some of the greats of yesteryears when it comes to three wheeler races, the Dean Sundahls, the Jimmy Whites, the Mike Coes, um, the list goes on and on. A different era, different time. Those guys, I raced this year more than I think anybody. And those guys would ride more in two weeks than I did all year. I mean, (laughs) It's it's ridiculous, you know, when you talk to them about their lifestyles back then. They would get up in the morning and go ride, 
They might come in and eat some sandwich and then go right again. Um, they would go to tracks and there'd be 10 different three-wheelers there waiting for them with 500 pairs of tires to go test and 12 shocks. And I mean, all day long, they would go ride. And they did this day in and day out. And then at night, they would go racing. And, and they lived this lifestyle for years like this. Uh, we're all weekend warriors today. I, I hear the argument sometimes when they compare the guys today versus the, the greats of yesteryear. And it's not even a fair comparison. I, I, I was at uh, the oldest running three-wheeler race, oldest running ATV race in the nation. Actually, I think it's in the world. And that's Ashtabula. And I was at the 50th anniversary of Ashtabula. And th there was... 30 greats of yesteryear there. And they put on a legends race. And actually, Mike co rode my three-wheeler. The, the one I was racing that weekend, he he put a twist throttle on it and, and rode it. And he actually won that race. But the things that was crazy is watching the talent of those guys. And, and they were all in their 50s and 60s at this time. Some of them hadn't even rode a three-wheeler in years. They were they got on that machine, to your point. When you say greats can ride anything, they did. And their lap times were within seconds. I mean, and sometimes hundreds of a seconds of the young guys that were winning the pro race at that time on that weekend on the same course. It was just eye-opening to me. I had, I had heard it. I believed it. But to see it with your own eyes was special. Really cool. And And most of the young people don't even get what it's like to roll out when you're older and compete against the kids. Yeah. yeah. But, but, well, I, but uh, our, our group, you and I are in the same age group. Yeah. I believe we're hands down way tougher than the <laughs> younger guys, way tougher. You know, yeah. there's shit that, that we will do and have done and they won't even think of doing. Right. But the guys that came before us, Make us look like sissies. Hundred percent agree. Our uh, our grandparents and great grandparents were were men of men for sure. The greatest generation, man. I mean, nineteen years old, storm in Normandy. You know, and now a nineteen year old can't even freaking tie his own shoes. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad in some cases. It really. Or is. wait a minute, he can't even decide whether he's gonna wear, you know stilettos or tennis shoes i mean you know if he's a boy you you just don't know i mean today it's it's crazy i mean you you, you wonder what's going on and and is racing gonna die i sure hope not i sure hope that 20 years from now when i'm not racing anymore that i could sit back and watch three wheelers still racing somewhere and just reminisce and, and think to myself man I remember when I used to do that. How cool. Now I get to sit here as a fan and, and watch somebody else do it. I, I sure hope that's that's the case. But we definitely need more uh, more of the younger generation to to give it a try. Right. Right. I, I'm I'm also worried that they're gonna try to make everything go electric. Yeah, I think that uh that's definitely leaning that direction right now for sure. I don't believe we have the technology. Um, and I don't believe that it'll ever be as exciting um, on a machine that makes no noise. No, it takes away with it. You know, one thing that's awesome about all motorsports is 
is, is it, it touches all your senses. I mean, the smell, uh, I mean, the smell of two-stroke oil. Well, I'll use that as an example. Um, wow, really cool. And the, here, the sound, the smell, I mean, to go to the Winter Nationals and to feel those dragsters take off that starting line and to feel it in your chest, it uh, <laughs> electric's not going to give you that feeling at all. Yeah. The little bit that I know about the, not the design of the electric, but what it's going to take to make electric work and the battery technology, you know, our, our phones go dead in a couple hours yeah. and, and that's just from talking on them. And you want to go race a 500 mile desert race on an electric motorcycle. Not, not gonna, you can't even drive 500 miles in an electric car with the yeah. mileage of 125. Right. And then how long does it take to charge? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll just be a, a different form of racing altogether. It'll be, you know, 10 minute races on fully charged batteries. It's probably in an indoor facility. Um, you know, imagine those places in Michigan in the middle of the winter when you can't go ride a dirt bike outside because of the temperatures and the conditions. But now you can build this giant warehouse with a dirt track in the inside and these guys can go out there on these electric things and ride for 10 minute races and have a blast and it's nice and warm and heated inside that building. Um, you know, is it a completely Wait a minute. They it can't be compared they, to what we deal with now. They can't, they can't heat the building. Why, why can't you? Because you're creating CO2. Oh. That's killing the planet. Yeah, so you're right. They don't have an alternative way to heat the building yet. The electric, the electric deal is not going to heat the building. So, yeah. And the power grid went down, so we can't charge our motorcycles, so we can't go race. Could be the could be the case. Races canceled because uh, the the power went out because the of the ice storm outside. Well, Gavin Newsom called everybody up and says, "Hey, you know we're having a heat wave. You can't charge your uh, charge your motorcycles, so there's no racing this month." You know, yeah, it, it would it would definitely be a different. But whether you or I like it, I think it's it's coming. It's going to be here in some capacity. Electric racing of some kind. They're just. Again, it's not going to be compared to what you and I know today of racing, but it'll be in its own its own animal. I I just I I, I probably agree with you, even though I don't think that it'll ever the the performance is there. Okay, they've proven that that. The straight ahead drive with the electric um, and the speed is there. But you're not to produce that. Okay. The raw materials it takes to produce it. At some point, Someone's going to step up and go, hey, you know, guys, we need to think about this because you can't produce an electric vehicle that creates less of a, a carbon footprint than a gas powered vehicle. Definitely not today. That's for sure. Maybe not I don't ever. I don't think ever because the, look at what you have to do to the earth just to make the battery. Yeah, I agree with you. 
Most people aren't realizing that. And in that beautiful state that you're still choosing to live in. Oh, shush. <laughs> I am yeah, very much yeah, established here. 20 years ago. Uh, we should have, you know, I mean, uh, I think, I think it was 30 years ago, we were thinking of moving to Nevada. And, um, you know, they were looking out by where the racetrack is now wow. to moving out there. And if we were, would have done it, um, we'd have been established and lived out there and, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but, um, yeah, there's just so many dynamics to things in the future. Uh, I, I'm glad that we have three wheelers now to, to create a, a a different dynamic for the people that don't just want to race motorcycles or, or quads. Um, even the motorcycle guys that want to race the three wheelers and, and the crossover with the ATV guys that go and race them. It, it's fun. I think the modern day three wheeler is a lot more stable than the older one than the 250R. Yep. Um I got to ride Wiley's at the yeah. at Prim. Uh like I said I did it with no helmet on. The big mistake, always wear your helmet, always wear your protective gear. And um it just turned so bitching. Yeah. No, they they're evolved. I mean these companies and these people that are 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 still loving three wheelers and, and working on them and evolving them. Um, they're, they're, they're still moving forward in their progress and, and what they're capable of. Uh, you know, going back talking about, you know, different races, I think that the, the modern 450 motors are putting out more power than 99% of us three wheeler guys could master. And so for us to sit here and talk about, well, what do we need to do to make more power to go faster and stuff? Uh, uh, I've won just as many races as anybody this year. And I can tell you that I haven't rode my machine to its full capability yet. Um, I still thrive to do so. Will I ever get there? Probably not. And, um, you know, hopefully they keep evolving. Hopefully there's riders behind me that, that have that same ambition that I do to try to master the art of riding a three-wheeler and the skill set that it takes to do so. And uh, hopefully it just goes on and on and on. I agree. We're going to have to uh, get a, a, a test session going. Um, I've openly asked to ride Wrangle's machine. Yeah. And I'd like, I'd like to ride your machine. No, yeah. I'm not going to ride it in the, gnarly environment because that's not me um uh, i can assess what i need to assess in a in a pretty sane environment um i don't get to ride as much as i used to uh, for some physical reasons but um i can still ride for a short time and uh and get a good get a feel for it and um you know I want to feel the acceleration and some of the turning aspects of them. And just to say that I've ridden it, you know, and, and experience a, a small fraction of what you get to experience. Um, we've gotten way all around the, the world here on our conversation. Yeah. Um, 2023. Best in the desert works. Aaron Hound again. 
Um, you know, it's, it's too early for me to commit to any or all of that. Still working on some things behind the scenes, um, to, to dictate how much of all that's going to take place next year. Um, some of it will, I'm not done yet. I got some unfinished things that I need to accomplish. Um, but to what capacity I haven't hundred percent decided we're just two weeks off of um, an extremely busy season. So right now I'm just enjoying the fact that I don't have to prep and get ready for a race this weekend coming up. It's, you know, this, this three week dry spell that I'm in the process of right now is, is the most downtime I've had in over a year. And so it feels pretty good to just relax and catch my breath and take it all in and talk to you about three wheeler racing and, and think about it. So I, I haven't decided what next year is going to bring yet. First race is just a few weeks away. Yeah. Um, both prim for works and Parker for best in the desert. I'll, I'll, I'll be at both of those. I can tell you that much. Well, that's, that's a start. Um, David, as usual, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I know that we're going to have a live show at some point. I'm still trying to put that all together. And um, we're going to talk about some three-wheeler stuff and uh, maybe some Mexico races, some Baja stuff. Um, You know, uh, we'll we'll see where that conversation goes. you know, and there again, yes, we need to to get together and do some testing and and go riding and and get get a feel for what you're what you're doing out there, so that I can bring it back to everybody that listens to the show and give them my input of your machine and Wrangle's machine, uh, not as a as a head to head comparison, just as you know what the machines are like. Yeah, I've been blessed to have rode with Wrangle. I haven't rode his particular machine, but I rode machines very similar to his. And they're all awesome in their own right. These modern three-wheelers that all these guys are building and going their own different directions and um, tweaking them a little bit to their liking. There's not one of them that I don't like. Um, That's awesome. They're all really cool. Um, The gentleman that owns that uh, KTM 300 three-wheeler? Yep. Yep. You do you know him? Absolutely, I do. Um, I've raced against him, and uh, yeah, it's a great machine. I haven't rode that particular machine. He's we need to get. We need to get that guy to come also because I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I would love to uh, get a feel for that one as well. For sure, he's a he's a great guy, and I'm sure he'd love to come out and hang out and, and take turns swapping bikes and let you ride them all. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Well, Wrangle and I are definitely working towards that. I, I always know how to get a hold of you. And as long as we do it on a non-race weekend, I think that it'll work out for everybody. I think so too. Yeah, it'd be fun. Real fun. So the so the the other than the date being picked, um, I, I know Wrangle's in for it. I know you're in for it. I'm sure that we could probably get a couple other guys to show up um and uh do some uh make it a little bigger than it is just so that everybody gets a, a good feel for what these machines do and why they are so much fun to ride. Absolutely. I, I you know, we both witnessed a, a true professional, not far out of his prime jump on one recently and David Ags, but and, and what he made a machine do. And it was, it, it was quite impressive. And, uh, 
I invite more people like that to come out and try riding three wheelers. I think it's going to be good for that. I think they'll have a blast. Um, I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for everything, but to get professional dirt bike guys, quad guys, heck, even UTV guys that throw their leg over a three wheeler and, and give it a whirl and, and, and hopefully it'll put a smile on their face just as much as it has me. And uh, who knows where it might lead. Did you see that that article that we did for Dirt Wheels on that three-wheeler, 250R, a uh, while back? I, I probably did. I, I can't recall exactly what you're talking about. The first time Josh Rowe ever rode a three-wheeler was right then. Wow. Wow. And, and look at his dad's history. Yeah, but yeah, his dad raced him in, in, in District 38, and, and I think he did some in Baja. Yeah. And yeah, it was, was pretty good on the damn thing. Right. And Josh freaking giggled the whole way home. You thought he was a little schoolgirl, you know, getting to steal a piece of candy. He just thought that was the cat's meow. He wanted, he kept asking Lauren and I, you know, how much do three wheelers cost? You know, I mean, is it hard to get one? <laughs> so uh, you, if we would have had one, he probably would have bought it right then. Yeah, and I, I think that more of the younger generation that actually gives them a try, they'll too have that same thoughts and experience. And, uh, you know, they're out there racing on Saturday or Sunday, and uh, they got time to race a three-wheeler too. They're they're at the event. Why can't they race their quad and their three-wheeler or their dirt bike and their three-wheeler? So I, I think they, all these guys need to give them a try. I agree. I totally agree. David, again, thank you so much for taking some time with ATV Talk. And congratulations on an amazing 2022. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.